really glad to see each and every one of you. It's a joy to worship with you, church. If it's your first time here, my name is Kyle, and we're so glad that you're here. If you're a first time back to church in a while, we're so glad you picked a day as that day. So a few questions that we get this thing rolling. We're going to look at our series in joy in Philippians, and we'll get into the book of Philippians in just a moment. So first question for you, and I'm going to ask several questions from you today, and I know that seems unfair that on time change, I would like challenge your minds, but we're going to do that, all right? First question is this, anyone have any projects that you have started, but you have not finished? All right, same thing happened in the first service. Uh, more people chuckled and they raised their hands, all right? Maybe a few of you went like this, right? How many of you have some unfinished projects around your house right now? All right, some more honest people in the room. Well, we snuck into your house and we got a picture of this. Now, if your clothes are fully done fold it, and put into the drawers. The rest of us look at you and say, you are way more spiritual than we are. For the rest of us, in reality, man, it's just an ongoing thing. We have four kids, and here's what we figured out about some of our kids. Not only do they change clothes like several times a day sometimes, but if they decide they don't like what they pulled out, they don't fold it back up and put it in the drawer. They just think, well, it's easier just to put it in the dirty clothes. So half the clothes that we wash and refold are clean clothes. So we got that going on. This next one that I've got for you, I didn't know this really existed, but if you're a quilter or a crocheter, there's a lingo that goes on amongst these folks, um, and it's kind of all having to do, in this particular instance, with unfinished product projects. They've got all these little, these little almost like uh, texting shorthand, uh, WIP, work in progress. There is a UFO amongst the quilters out there called an unfinished object. Um, their PhD is a project half done. They also have PIGS, which stands for Projects in Grocery Bags. I guess that one's just over there waiting, right? Uh, Nesty. Nesty stands for Not Even Started Yet. And on down there, Stable. Stash Accumulated Beyond Expectancy. So there's this whole lingo amongst you folks at Crochet and Quilt that y'all got this thing going on. I almost came up with some pictures and some stories about men in particular and how we don't finish our projects, but I didn't get around to it. So um, <laughs> here's some reasons why we have unfinished projects. Okay, let me give you several solid reasons. Okay, we run out of time. That's the reason why some of our projects go unfinished. Okay, we run out of energy. We just kind of lose what we need to keep us going, and we just kind of, you know, we just kind of, kind of sail out of the deal. We run out of resources, okay? The money runs out or whatever it may be that we need to get it done. We run out of it. Um, some of us run out of desire. We were really passionate about it at first, then we got into it. And it was harder than what we thought it was going to be, and we kind of start losing desire, and we quit. Or we get distracted with a better idea of another project, right? Those are some really solid reasons as to why we have unfinished projects in our lives. Now, here's the deal. If you're not careful, you will impose your ability to go forward with one unfinished project after another, 
And all of that will be put on God if you're not careful. All those characteristics and all of that ability to not finish things, you all of a sudden start thinking God functions the same way you do. Listen to me. God finishes what he starts. He never runs out of time. How do I know that? He created it. Okay, He never, ever runs out of energy. Why? He's omnipotent. There's nothing he cannot do. He is not limited in his power or his authority or his ability. He doesn't run out of resources. The Word of God tells us he owns cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. He doesn't run out of desire. How do we know he doesn't run out of desire? He proved that on the cross. Jesus went for it all the way on the cross. That's his desire. And he doesn't get distracted with a better idea. What do I mean by that? You are incredibly valued by God. There is nothing more valuable to God than you. He is not going to look over here and say, Oop, let me leave this behind because I think this one's better. He looks at you with love and grace and compassion and passion. And he says, I'm going to finish what I have started. He's able to be laser focused on you and laser focused on you and laser focused on you, laser focused on the people down the street, laser focused on the people around the world. Every single one of us have the laser focus of God, which speaks to his omnipresence. He can be everywhere, all places, all times, and fully focused on whoever it is and whatever it is he's doing. And you are someone that he is not going to quit on. He's not going to fail. He's not going to get an incomplete. He is relentless in his process of changing those who believe. I'm going to repeat that. He's relentless in changing those through his process, changing those who believe. Well, today we're in week two in this series called Joy. And we are going to be in Philippians. We kind of did a quick introduction last week. Hopefully you caught it. If you didn't, we want you to jump online and onto our app. We'd love for you to listen in and to hear everything that brought us to read the book of Philippians and where it all came from. Just a quick recap for you. Paul is writing. The Holy Spirit of God has inspired him and empowered him to write what is a letter, we call a book, but a letter to the church at Philippi. In this city, Paul had visited there some 10, 12 years before. He and his team went and planted the gospel, and a church was planted. And now he is writing back to them some 10, 12 years later out of the love of his heart and the leadership of the Holy Spirit and speaking into them incredible words of encouragement. They are words of encouragement for us as well. He wrote to the church then. He's writing to the church now. What was good for them then is good for us now. And so Paul is writing. It's very important to note that Paul, who is writing this book of Philippians, of which the theme is joy, so many times, over 20 times, there are references to joy in the book of Philippians. Paul is writing from prison. He didn't go to prison because he did something he shouldn't do. He went to prison because he preached the gospel. And there he is in prison, full of joy, writing about joy to a church that he loves. So Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the seat underneath in front of you. We encourage you to find that. Open that, I believe, page 983. It's going to be on the screen as well. We want you to see and read the Word of God. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. This letter is from Paul 
and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. In other words, he owns us, and we are his, and we are gladly his. We've been bought with the price, and we serve him gladly. He goes on to say, I'm writing to all of God's holy people. Notice those words, holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus. Listen to me, believers. Listen to me. When's the last time, believers, when's the last time you thought of yourself, sitting around thinking about yourself, and you thought, hmm, I'm a holy person. Or you could go with another translation of it and go with the word saint. Both are totally applicable here. When's the last time you sat around and you thought about yourself and you thought, you know what, I am a saint. I'm just a saint. When's the last time? You spoke to somebody about yourself, and you said, hey, I just want you to know I'm a holy person. Hey, in case you didn't know it, I'm a saint. Yeah, it's laughable, isn't it? The idea for us is just almost inconceivable, and yet he writes to them and declares, the word of God declares them being holy people. Holy people. This is the word of God declaring them, listen to me, and declaring you, if you're a believer, as a holy person. Notice what it says in verse 1. I'm writing to all God's holy people in Philippi who what? Belong to Christ Jesus. How am I holy? I'm holy because I belong to Christ Jesus. Not because I belong to a church, but because I belong to Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ Jesus, the Word of God declares you to be holy to be a saint, to be set apart, to have a purpose. That's what Jesus declares about you, and that's what Jesus declares about me. How am I holy? Because I am in Christ. Not because I'm in church, but because I am in Christ. Notice the last part of the verse. I get a little bit of a chuckle out of it. You may not, but he finishes the verse by saying, including the elders, same as pastors, and deacons. I chuckle a little bit because it's almost like the way I read it is, hey, church, in case you didn't know it, your pastors and deacons are holy too. I think that's kind of funny. But here's the point. He's pointing out to all of you that we are all holy the same way. I'm not holy because I hold the position of pastor in a church. The deacons in our church are not holy because they hold the position of deacon in our church. They are holy the same way you are holy because they, because we, belong to Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ Jesus, the Word of God declares you to be a holy person, to be a saint. You need to be mindful of that as we go throughout the book of Philippians. You need to be mindful of who you are in Christ, who you are in Christ. The question is, do you belong to Christ? Most of us think it's about our behavior. Well, if I do more good than bad, then I guess I'm a good person. I might even get as far as, you know, if I do enough good and do some church stuff too, I can be a holy person and God will approve of me. No, 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 that's not the way it is. Most of us have lived long enough to figure out that's impossible. Some of us go further than that. We're like, well, it's not just more good than bad. we got to do all good and no bad. Well, that's completely impossible. So if that's impossible, how are we holy? Through belonging to Christ Jesus. The work that he did for us on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection is how we find ourselves being holy. We belong to him by admitting our sin, placing our faith in Christ Jesus, asking him to forgive us and to become 
our Lord and Savior. So I'll ask you again, do you belong to Jesus? So with that question being asked, I'll follow it up. You don't have to answer out loud, but I pray you answer in your heart. Listen to me. Are you holy? If you belong to Jesus, guess what your answer should be? Your answer should be yes. You should think of yourself the way God thinks of you. God thinks of you as a holy person, not because of the things you have done, not because you did more good than you did bad, not because you showed up this Sunday, not because you came for 14 Sundays in a row, but because of Jesus, because of Jesus, because of Jesus. Look on now, verse number two. May God and our Father, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. What an incredible blessing is being spoken over us. Verse 3, every time I think of you, this writer writes, Paul writes, this pastor writes, every time I think of you, who the church, I give thanks to my God. Listen, you're pastors of the church. When we think about you, we give thanks for you. We are thankful that you've believed in Jesus. We give thanks that you are following Jesus. We give thanks that you're generous. We give thanks that you're serving. We give thanks that you're spreading the good news. Look on in verse number four. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. And here's this word. Let it pop off the page for you. It's the first time it's mentioned in the book, and it's going to be mentioned a bunch more times. With joy. The joy of the Lord. Verse five. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard until now. Now verse six. This is where we want to get, and this is where we want to hang out a little bit. He says, and I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I told you I was going to ask you a few more questions. Here they come. Verse number six, keep your Bible open, keep your eyes on the screen. The answers are there, okay? These are not trick questions. I just want you to get this. I want you to catch this, okay? It talks about a good work beginning Who does it say began the good work? Come on now. Who does it say began the good work? God. God began the good work. I didn't begin it. You didn't begin it. Our grandparents didn't begin it. Our forefathers of this nation didn't begin it. Other great people that have lived before us didn't begin this good work. God began this good work within us. Next question. You might have to think on this in a little bit. It's not quite as clear, but it's there. What is the good work? What is the good work that has begun? What is the good work that has begun? And as you pause and you think and you're answering in your heart and mind and some of you are afraid to say because you're afraid you might get the wrong answer, let me give you a one-word answer, okay? What God began in you is the good work of salvation. Everybody say salvation. That is the work that God began within you. If you are a saved person, if you are a believer, if you're someone that belongs to Christ, think back with me. For some of you, maybe a few weeks, a few months. For some of us, it's a few years. For some of us, it's a few decades. But remember the moment when it all began for you with Jesus. Remember that mom or that Sunday school teacher or that friend or that neighbor or that time somebody invited you to church and you really didn't want to go, but you went anyway, and you heard the gospel. Okay, you heard how Jesus lived perfectly 
how he died horrifically, and how he rose triumphantly, and how you came to the place at some point after hearing the gospel of faith in Jesus Christ, that moment when you first believed. Do you remember that moment? If you're remembering that moment, smile at me, okay? If you're remembering it, smile at me, okay? That should cause you to smile. That should cause you to rejoice. That should bring joy to your heart. If that doesn't stir up joy within you, you've missed Jesus completely. Because let me tell you what happened in that moment, if it happened for you. Your sins were forever and finally forgiven. Whoa! Whoa! That's the work that he began in you. So as he began, according to verse 6, is God going to continue this good work or is he going to stop short? What's he going to do? He's going to continue. He's going to continue. One more question. When will he finish, according to verse number 6? When will he finish this work that he started in you? When Christ comes back. I don't know if you know it or not, but Jesus is coming back. Believers, that causes us to rejoice, right? Jesus is coming back. Amen. Celebrate it. If you can't celebrate Jesus in church, you can't celebrate him anywhere else. He's coming back. And he says, when I come back, I'm going to finish this thing. I'm going to finish it forever and finally. Now, for some of you, verse number 6 encourages you. It encourages you because right now you're in a season of life where you need God's help, you recognize you need God's help, and you're believing that he's not done with you yet, and you are leaning into him, and you're thankful that he's faithful. For some of you, you are thankful for verse number 6 because you have blown it lately. You have made a colossal, unbelievable, terrible, maybe sinful decision lately. And to hear a verse like number, verse number six to say he's not done with you yet and that he will continue to work in you and through you brings encouragement today. That is great and that is wonderful for, for some of you. And if we're really, really honest, maybe most of us, verse number six scares us just a little bit. It causes us to take pause just a little bit. We like the idea of believing in Jesus to go to heaven, but we struggle with the idea of him being involved in our life every day. I mean, like some of you, you feel like you did God a big favor by showing up on Sunday and allowing him to be a little bit involved in your Sunday. You feel like that's a big deal, like, whoo, God did you a big favor. And God says, I don't want an hour of your week on a Sunday morning. I want your entire life. And that's what verse number 6 is teaching. Uh-oh. That's where some of us are getting kind of scared, getting a little bit freaked out, getting a little, whoa, I don't know. Let's push pause on this. Here are the reasons why we struggle with this idea, because we actually think <laughs> that our ideas are better than God's and we think our way is better than God's and we think that if we're in charge, it'll go better than if God's in charge. That's where we fall. So let me give you some things on screen here. You can put them on your notes. It's, it's going it's, it's to be a curveball for some of you, okay? It's biblical truth, but it's going to be a curveball for you. Okay, salvation is a, and let's put the first word up there, and that word is prayer. Okay, again, if you have found yourself belonging to Jesus, it began with a prayer, not a magical prayer, not a certain prayer, but a prayer of faith, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of acceptance of Jesus. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the scripture, scripture teaches. You can think back to that moment when you recognize your sin and Jesus is Savior. Salvation is a Prayer. Listen to me. We're going we're gonna to talk this out. We're going to talk this out because you got to get it. Salvation is a prayer, listen to me, and a process. And a process. 
Now, wait a minute. Which, which, which one is it? The answer is it's either both or it's none. That's the answer. It's a prayer and it's a process. If by chance you think I prayed a prayer and then I get to live the rest of my life for myself and then I get to go to heaven, I wonder what kind of a prayer you prayed. I wonder what kind of a faith you placed. I wonder what kind of a repentance that you gave. Because salvation is a prayer and it is a process. The gospel is effective in our life in the future and our the gospel is effective in our life now, listen to me. Do you think that God sat up there in heaven? He and the Father are talking about coming down here to earth to live amongst people like you and I, you know, messed up people, and spend 30-something years away from perfection, away from paradise, away from the perfect place, to hang out with people like you and I, go through the cross, all the suffering and all the shame that took place physically and spiritually. When I say spiritually, here's what you can understand. When Jesus died on the cross, it was more than nails on his hands and nails on his feet. You're like, whoa, more than that? More than that. He took on all of our sin. Sin hurts. Can we agree with that? You got pain in your life because of sin, right? You got some relationships that you used to have, you don't have anymore. Why? Because of sin, right? You, you have some things that used to work that don't work now. Why? Because of sin. Sin brings chaos and it brings destruction. And Jesus took on all of my sin and all of your sin. I don't know how much sin you have, but I have a bunch of sin. And Jesus said, I'm taking on all of it, all of mine, all of yours, all of everybody's. And do you think he said, you know what, Father, I think I'll go down there. And I'll die for them, and I'll suffer all of that, take on all their sin, come back from the dead so that I could just be alive to watch them pray a prayer, then do whatever they want to with their lives, and then one day go to heaven. Do you think that's how Jesus was approaching coming here to earth? No, not at all. He did approach it knowing how messed up we are. He did approach it knowing all of our sin and saying, I'm willing to take on all of it. And I want to come back from the dead so their sins can be forgiven. And I want to come back from the dead because I want to be involved in their lives every single day. I want to make a difference in their life long before they show up in heaven. Let me give you some big words that help us kind of uh, understand this as we think about the prayer and the process. And I say big words because they're long words, but more so the implication of them is really, really big. Number one. Justification. We'll come back and define these. They're going to be on the screen, but I'm going to come back through them. First word is justification. Write it down. Justification. Okay? Second word is sanctification. Sanctification. First service, the screen kind of got hung up there a little bit, and nobody knew how to spell it, and I was trying, and finally it came through because it's a big word. Sanctification. Number three, glorification. Write those down. Justification, sanctification, Glorification. Don't let the word scare you. Let's define them. Let's unpack this because it's huge. Okay, here's our simple definition of justification. It's huge. Made right with God. Justification happened once and for all time in your life when you prayed your prayer, confessing your sin and believing in Jesus to become your Savior. He made you now and forever right with God. God. Again, if that doesn't make you smile, if that doesn't make you rejoice, if that doesn't make you go, yay, Jesus, you are good, nothing else will. Justification. It took place now and forever in your life when you prayed and received Christ into your life. 
okay? Made right with God. Made right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Not because of the things we did, but because of him. It's the reason why the scripture calls us holy and saints, because of Jesus. This happens by grace, God giving something to you that you do not deserve. Okay, justification. God saying, my work on the cross through Jesus is good enough to make you right with me. To know that one day we're going to stand before God and everything be right with him. The second one, sanctification. Simple definition on the screen there for you. I want you to write it down. Being made right every day. Now, hang on just a minute. I thought I prayed a prayer and we're all good. Like, don't we just get to do what we want to do? Being made right every day. This is the ongoing work of the cross of Jesus in your life. Affecting your life every single day. This is Jesus patiently and passionately working in your life through the power of the cross to help you live holy lives, set apart, different, for a purpose. And this happens by grace. Then third, glorification. Here's your definition you see it on the screen. Going to be made right in the future. Going to be made right in the future. This is the eternal work of the cross. This is us one day spending eternity with God and everything, when I say everything, I mean everything being made right. Think about this. Sin, gone forever. Satan, gone forever. All right, yeah, you can celebrate that. I'm looking forward to that. Cancer, gone forever. Death, gone forever. Crying, gone forever. Broken relationships, gone, restored, made right forever. This is the glorification that we look forward to in Jesus. Everything, everything, everything being made right. Now let's be honest. We like number one and number three way better than we like number two. Can you get a little nod? Can you get a little something on that one? Maybe I'm the only one. I'm just being honest with you. Number one, number three, whoo, I like those. Number two, I don't know about all that. That sounds kind of hard. That sounds kind of messy. That sounds kind of, mm, I don't know. Praying a prayer took courage and faith, but let's be honest, it was instantaneous, wasn't it? I mean, when I prayed, Jesus moved in my life, and I was justified instantaneously. It's miraculous. Salvation. Who doesn't like the idea of one day in the future glorification taking place and Jesus coming back and making everything right? Everybody loves that idea. But this idea of the process of sanctification and God doing things in our life to make us right every day. It makes us ask questions, this whole sanctification thing. It makes us ask questions like, what will I have to go through? What will I have to endure, right? That, what am I signing up for? What, what will I have to suffer? What will I have to do? And this one may be the biggest one of all. What is he going to ask me to stop doing? There's some things that you and I like doing that we are pretty convinced that if God gets a hold of our life, he's going to say, stop that. And we're like, I really don't want to stop. Here's what we know. We all have to go through life. 
Okay, every single one of us, some of us, our lives are going to be longer than the others, but every single one of us, we have to go through life. Life is hard, painful, and unpredictable. The idea and the truth and the promise, listen to me, of sanctification is going through life with Jesus. Listen, life is painful, unpredictable, all those things. You're going to go through whatever you're going to go through. The idea of sanctification is God being good to you and saying, I want to go through all of that with you. And I want to get glory from all of that. And I want to bring you joy in the midst of all of it. You mean all of it? Yeah, when things are going good, he wants us to experience joy that's unspeakable. When things are going bad, he wants us to experience joy. A joy that's not based on circumstance, but joy that's based in the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what's going on in your life right now, no matter how good, no matter how bad, no matter how sideways it's going, Jesus is still alive, and he's coming back, and he's going to make everything right. And if you know that, believe that, and know that one day you're going to experience that, it'll change your whole perspective on life. But some of us, I like, I like the justification, I like the glorification, but I really don't really like the idea of him being involved in my life every single day. Again, this truth and this promise of sanctification is going through life with a Savior. You're going to face what you're going to face regardless. When we talk about like Jesus coming into your life and going with you, we're not talking about everything getting perfect. We're just not. Life is messy with or without Jesus. I just say, I prefer to go through it with Jesus. I prefer to go through hope and all the messes and all the junk and all the stuff with hope, with a rescuer, with knowing that one day, now or later, everything is going to be made right. Some of you are not experiencing joy in your life right now, and you have prayed a prayer, and you are justified, and glorification is coming your way, and you're miserable right now, and it very likely may be because you are not embracing the promise of sanctification in your life. You're not letting Jesus work in your life today, and that's what he wants. He desperately wants, and I believe deserves. Listen to me, Christians. Listen to me, believers. Listen to me. If you're willing to trust Jesus with your eternal life, why would you not trust him with your life now? Like, okay, like when it's over, like there's two places we can go. There's heaven and there's hell, okay? Like, I don't know about you. I want to go to heaven, not hell. That's me. That's where I want to go. I want to go to heaven. I'm assuming most of you are on the same page there. Like, even if you're a believer or not, like if you're not even a believer, you're like, hell doesn't sound good to me. Okay, well, I want to go to heaven. Okay, so I'm going to put all my chips on the table here for Jesus to get me to heaven. All my chips. I'm trusting that you are powerful enough, miraculous enough, incredible enough, resurrected enough, that when I die one day because of you, I can go to heaven. But you know what? Today I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with that, and I just don't know if you can handle it or not. I don't know if you're big enough. I don't know if you're powerful enough. I don't know if you're present enough. I don't know if you're capable. Listen, as we talk about this idea of sanctification and process, we're not telling you you need to trust the process because the process is called life, and it's crazy. You need to trust the one in charge of the process. Write it down. Trust the one in charge of the process. You may think you're in charge of the process. I would say to you, you haven't lived very long if you still think you're in charge of the process. Because life is going to hurl some stuff your way, and you are going to realize, whoo, out of my hands, above my pay grade. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I can't change that. I can't fix that. Ooh, they're crazy. I mean, right? Like, I mean, the list goes on and on, all the stuff that comes our way. 
You better trust the one in charge of the process. That's what we're called to do. It is essential to our joy in Jesus is understanding that not only is he in charge of my eternity, but he's in charge of my very present day. My very present day. And I'll just tell you, you want to find people that are full of joy? You are going to find people that are trusting that God's in charge of today. There are people in this room, there were people in the room earlier today, life is crazy right now. It is just not going well as far as life is concerned, and yet you see joy in them, and you realize it's because they trust the one who's in charge of all that stuff. And they've chosen to go through it with him rather than without him. Trust the one in charge of the process. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6 again. Don't miss it. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6. And I am certain. Are we going to get that one up there? It frees up again. Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to read it. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You don't have to say it loud. Just kind of mumble it under your breath. Just kind of mumble it under your breath. Just say, God's not finished with me yet. Just go mumble it under your God's not finished with me yet. You don't have to say it out loud. You just it's truth. He's not. He's not done with you. I don't care how bad you've blown it. I don't care how foolish you've been. I don't care how sinful you've been. He's not through with you yet. I don't care how good you've been and how great your accomplishments are. He's not through with you yet. A couple more verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 7. It's going to come on the screen there for you. 1 Corinthians. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there it is, Jesus coming back. We're waiting for it. He's saying we've got what we need in him. Verse number 8. He, God, will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. You as a believer who have been justified do not have to be fearful of the return of Christ. You can look forward to it. You don't have to stand before God one day with your knees knocking full of blame and shame. You can stand before him right because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Look at verse number 9. God will do this for he is what? faithful, he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. If that doesn't bring some joy, you're missing Jesus. Go on now. Next passage, I believe, is from Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace make you what? Holy. You're kind of afraid to say the word out loud, aren't you? Like, we say that, we, I mean, holy Bible. Right? I mean, that's, we reserve that word for like the Holy Bible. He, because of Jesus, calls you holy. Now may the God of peace make you holy. That's sanctification every day, setting you apart, making you different. You are holy. He's making you holy. Make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. There it is again. Until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. One more verse. Verse 24. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is what? Faithful. He's faithful. Well, as we wrap our time up this morning, and um, I don't know if it's, the, if it's the lack of one hour sleep or if it's the truth that I presented this morning, but I can feel that some of you are like, that's okay. I'm believing that even with the lack of sleep, that the Holy Spirit is revealing this truth through Scripture to you today. And the biggest truth is this. Listen to me. God wants to be involved in your life today. 
For some of you, your next step looks like this. It looks like you believing in Jesus so that you can belong to Jesus. You don't belong to Jesus right now. You may belong to a church or this or that, whatever, that's great, whatever. But you don't belong to Jesus because you haven't believed in Jesus yet. Listen, that can change today, just the way it changed for all the rest of us in this room by believing in Jesus Christ, confessing our sin to him, realizing we need him in our life to rescue us and to become our Savior. That can change for you today, and you can become someone who belongs to Jesus, someone that God declares as holy because of the work of Jesus Christ. For a bunch of us in this room, we need to decide in our heart of hearts that not only is justification true, and not only is glorification true, but sanctification is true as well. And it's a promise, and we need to embrace it. And we need to trust the one in charge of the process. When you say, Jesus, you died for me, I think that makes you trustworthy. Jesus, you came back from the dead. I think that makes you capable. So this thing called life, this thing called marriage, this thing called parenting, this thing called work, this thing called friendships, this thing called life, I'm going to trust you with it because I think you've got a better plan than I do. So here it is. I trust 